The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, welcome back to another edition of our program, Afternoons with Mike Heard throughout Central Florida, North Central Florida as well. On the line with me today, someone from the actual Central Florida area now. I'm talking about Pastor Paul Begley. Paul is an author in addition to being a pastor, and he's a singer. So we're going to get to talk about all of those things. Welcome to my program, Paul. Great to be here. So glad to be on the show. You know, you and I share something. I was originally from Indiana, from southwest Indiana, a city called Evansville, and we moved down to central Florida in 85. But I grew up there, went to school there, so I saw in one of your bios that um, you work with your, your dad, I believe, in the cornfields of Indiana. Now, if there's one thing if there's one thing that Indiana has, it's cornfields, my friend. And we got... Just about as much corn as Kansas and Nebraska. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And Iowa. Might as well throw Iowa in there while we're at it. Well, tell us about yourself, Paul. I understand that you were ordained by Dr. Lester Summerall. Let's go back even before that. How did you come to know the Lord? You know, I got saved when I was 10 years old, okay? And um, uh, there was an evangelist preaching in our church in Knox, Indiana, when I felt the Lord, I heard the Lord speaking to me in my heart, and I went forward and gave my life to the Lord. so I cut my teeth on the pews. I'm a fourth-generation uh, preacher, and so, you know, I grew up going to church all the time. Um, and so when I got 22 years old is when the Lord called me to preach. I, and I announced that calling, uh, started my training, and immediately they threw me into the fire, man. They didn't mess around. I mean, they, they put you in the pulpit the next Sunday, and, 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 and uh, so I started preaching. And that's been over 40 years ago. It's been a, um, a life of pastoring, evangelizing, uh, radio, television now. And, uh, and of course, YouTube is our, our big uh, platform. Now, you know, in 40 years' time, you've seen technology just explode. And everything that you just mentioned, including YouTube, obviously, those things weren't even around when you began 40 years ago. Life for pastors, it's changed a lot, right? It really has. I mean, it really has. And and uh, in the younger years, I <clears throat> fifteen my first fifteen years of ministry, I you know I preached in every church and every uh, all over uh, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, the whole region. And uh, but fourteen years ago, actually, is when uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, "It's time for you to go uh, on YouTube." I already had been on radio for about fifteen years at that point. But never, you know, the Internet was a whole new thing. I didn't even know what YouTube was. Uh, but the Lord said, this is what you're going to do. And uh, so I started that. And, yes, so ministry, you have to constantly evolve with whatever's going on. If you're going to reach the people, you're, you're going to have to be wherever they're at. You know, I heard years ago, Paul, and you remind me of this statement. Every generation has someone that needs to write about what God is doing. Someone needs to preach about what God is doing, and someone needs to sing about what God is doing. And you're doing all three of those things, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm crazy enough to try it, okay? Uh, you know, I do, I do uh, of course, I, my first book is coming out, so we're involved in the writing. But at the same time, music has been a, a key part of ministry for me, and uh, I have done four music albums, and... and uh, yeah, I really enjoy singing. It's because it's a total different area of ministry compared to preaching, but the same message. You still you're still bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, one way or the other. So, yeah, I, I kind of dibble and dabble in all of it. I'm I'm a master of none. I'm just kind of uh, involved in it all. <laughs> it sounds like uh, looking at the titles of the songs, you'd be classified a southern gospel singer. Would that be right? That's probably right. Yeah, Southern Gospel, little country gospel, kind of mix it up. Yep. Okay. Right. Throw some hymnals in there. You got it. 
Well, that's wonderful. I uh, was with a band for a number of years. I met my wife that way, uh, touring and uh, playing guitar and playing steel guitar for a country gospel band. And uh, it, it was back then, though, the kind of music we were playing was considered contemporary. So music itself evolved as well, as you know. And so now it's got different titles on it. But boy, I do love the way that country gospel songs sound. And I, I see that one of the albums you recorded is Wayfaring Stranger. So that's a great tune. <laughs> yeah, I reached back into the uh, way back to find Wayfaring Stranger. Actually, when I did that album, I had um, nine songs when I went to the studio and uh, I needed 10. And uh, we, I waited. We recorded nine songs, and the uh, producer said, "You got to come up with one more. What's your tenth song?" I said, "You know what? I really don't know." And he picked up a guitar, and and uh, I said, "You know," and I just started singing "Wayfaring Stranger" a cappella off the cuff because I just remembered it way. And, and he heard it, and when he heard it, he immediately uh, jumped up and said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! You need to add that." And so we did. We recorded it. And uh, matter of fact, it became the most popular song on the album, and we just we named the album that. Isn't that um, something? It's an old song, but the message just still rings true. Yeah, I remember listening to J.D. Sumner sing that way back when, and man, that was something. Well, this is very exciting about your new book, and the book is entitled Revelation 9-1-1. How the Book of Revelation Intersects with Today's Headlines. You know what, Paul? I'm hearing regularly a call to all pastors to consider what's going on in our nation today. And it seems to me that the big challenge before pastors, before church members, is how do we intersect with the headlines that are going on without stepping into becoming a political preaching pastor? Is that something that we should be doing? I mean, this is a question that's on everyone's mind. So it sounds like your book will offer a strong thought about that. It really will. Um, I, I think the, this was a vision I got from the Lord. I, I actually saw the letters in bright red, Revelation nine eleven. And the Lord spoke to me in this vision and said, write this down. It's about to happen. It's upon mankind. So I went to, I didn't know what it meant. You know, I went to the Bible and I read the verse, Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. It actually says that Apollyon comes out of the bottomless pit and releases these demons upon the earth. And I thought to myself, that's never happened. Okay, I mean, Locusts and and there's a lot of symbolism when you when you look at uh, Revelation. Oh yeah. So, so what I did was let's talk, let's take a look at what has been released upon our culture, upon our planet, and I began to think about okay, wars, the rumors of wars, the 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 great reset that we keep hearing from the World Economic Forum that the you know the economy is going to rechange a one world currency. I see the green. Uh, the climate change green initiative, the woke agenda, the cultural shifts toward socialism and Marxism, and Marxism, and then, and, you know, and then all the other things that you hear about in our society, and said we need to look at those things, and where can we find it in the Bible? Where are some of these very agendas in the Bible? And so that was kind of got up with my uh, co-author Troy Anderson. And we started putting this together. Today, a lot of those things seem to be happening in our lifetime right now in real time. So that makes it really, really up close and personal. It really does. And for instance, what happened in Israel, I've been to Israel 11 times. And um, what just happened on October 7th, the invasion of Hamas, which is now broadening this war, Israel against really radical jihad, which is spreading across several nations. Those nations involved are the very nations that was prophesied to attack Israel in Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39. And then we hear that I've met with several rabbis, Messianic rabbis and even Orthodox rabbis. And the push for the building of the Third Temple is uh, now everywhere. That's all they're trying to do is build their temple on the Mount Moriah there or the Temple Mount. So you have all of this prophetic stuff taking place in the Middle East, and then you have the Russia war in Ukraine, which is uh, threatening Europe, and you have China threatening Taiwan. 
and and just look at all and then the signs in the heavens. Okay, we're getting ready to have the Great American Eclipse for the second time in a seven-year period crossing America. So we see signs in the heavens, signs on the earth. These are all happening right now. And I'm like you. I used to watch Dr. Jack Benippi when I was a kid talk about now in about 30, 35 years from now, you're going to see these things happen. You know, and he always talks about in the future. But today, um, I had the privilege to spend some time with Dr. Uh, Jack Van Impey, and uh, it's no longer the future, it's today. Yeah. We are looking at the very prophecies that we, that we used to talk about 35, 40 years ago are now taking place today. And that's enough to get our attention. We need to be aware that what's going on is significant, and it bears uh, watching, and I, I think even uh, prayers. We need to be active about keeping our eyes open around us, because we just don't know. It could well be that very soon the Lord that we've been singing about, the second coming of Jesus, hey, it could happen, and, and it could happen sooner. It's going to happen but it could happen sooner than we think it could. That's the point. Amen. Amen. That is a great point. And if you see these things happening, Jesus said, look up, lift up your head for your redemption draws nigh. So the, the, the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church, the, the, the moment that really we've been looking for, the second coming of Christ, all of these things are coming together. And what's, uh, so in the book, Revelation 9-11, God said to me, do you remember how you felt when 9-11 happened in New York? Mm. And I, I said, yeah, I, I felt vulnerable. I wasn't sure what was going to happen next. Was, which cities? Was it just one city or two cities? How many planes? Who is the enemy? The, we're at war. All of these different things, that, that this uh, insecurity. And he said, that's exactly what the world is about to experience, and they're not going to know what's next. And what you got to do is show them, well, the coming of Jesus Christ, we're on the brink of it. And the greatest harvest, we also wanted to write in this book, Revelation 9-11, we wanted to make sure that people knew that the greatest harvest, the greatest revival ever in history will also take place as these events are happening. So get ready. This is is the moment, really the greatest evangelistic moment in history is about to take place, but so will some of these very, very insecure uh, uh, events that are going to trouble many people, kind of happening all at the same time. I hear a lot of believers very fearful, and for us, we should be confident. We should already have in our hearts a knowledge that, hey, our living here is on borrowed time anyway. I love that. (laughs) Going back to your song, we are wayfaring strangers in a real way. We're aliens in this land, and one day, if this is the the beginning of the end, that just means that his coming is sooner, and we're going to be with him in that, that great meeting in the air. Amen. Amen. You know, he said, for the Lord hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but uh, love and power and a sound mind. And so we, we can see what's happening, but we do not live in fear. We do not live uh, in, in a state of panic. Instead, we recognize Jesus said, watch and pray. For an hour, you think not, the Lord doth come. Yeah. He told us about the Father's business, to occupy till he comes. So we're to be cognitive of the events going on around us, but to not live in fear at all, but to use this opportunity to win as many people to Christ as we can. And so Christians have to put on the whole armor of God and really, really know our role in these last days and not be afraid. You know, Paul yeah. said, if I, you know, you don't want to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Uh, so this is our moment. This is our time. Don't be afraid, because Christ is coming soon. You know, what is the, when you think about all, all of the craziness that's going on, and I mean, even this week, there have been so many things that's happened. What happened in Joel Osteen's church on Sunday, it's tragic, and people should never be doing this. But we should not be that surprised when we look at the open border that's going on. Our, our country right now, it's almost like there's a coup d'etat that's happening right under our noses. So as believers, we need to stand up and, and find out where our faith is intersecting with what's going on in the news headlines. Absolutely. 
And uh, thank God that there was uh, a couple undercover police officers there armed. Uh, we're able to protect the parishioners there. Uh, but we're going to see more and more and more of these attacks uh, that are going to come up on churches, going to come up on Christians. Uh, we, are, we need to understand that and not be fearful by that, but to be prepared, be vigilant, be on top of uh, understanding the prophecies of the last days. And at the same time, we, ha- you know, we have an open border, as you said. We don't know how many um, uh, enemies or terrorists, uh, those who are want to take down America. Right. You know, we're the strong man. America's the strong man. And we're the leaders of the world when it comes to evangelism and, and missionary work and Christianity. So we're going to be the target of the devil. I mean, we are absolutely going to be the target of Satan. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I then, agree. So we got to march on. we got to march on with that, with that understanding. Well, that is so helpful, and I think it's a great encouragement to all of us. We need to have faith. We need, I believe, and I know you would agree with this, we need to be in the Word every day. We need to get our our understanding lined up with our, our daily practice, our understanding of the Word of God. And I think so many times people who are believers in Jesus live below that confidence level that the Lord would want for us to live in. He, like you said, he told us that we've not been given the spirit of fear. Yet I find so many people that are believers in the Lord, uh, they're not living with that kind of confidence in the Lord as they should. Would you agree? I agree 100%. And you know, uh, the church that I'm a co-pastor with, Melvin Whittington, I'm a co-pastor of a church called Freedom Fellowship. We're in the villages, right, actually right in Wildwood. And um, as we, what we've done is we're taking the concept of freedom, family, and faith. All three are under assault, our faith, our family, and our freedoms. And what we want to do is just train the people, teach the people, this is the real world. But, you know, we used to sing the song, ancient days of, they would sing the song, you know, uh, onward Christian soldiers right. marching on war. What we were, they were talking about was the demonic war, actually, the spiritual war. But now it's manifesting even physically. When you see what happened to Joel Osteen's church and you've seen what's happened in our schools, what's taking place in our uh, curriculum that's being taught in our institutions. Oh, my, I know. And that's going on in the Ivy schools. You know, this is a real cultural battle because it's really about the cross. It's really about the cross. And so let's stand up. Let's be strong. And uh, and that's what we want to do in the book, Revelation 9-11. We don't just tell you what all is going on and leave you with no answer. No, no. We're going to show you what's happening, what the Bible says was going to happen, where we are in prophecy, and what do we do about it. What is our role? I'm just about to a break. Uh, give us the website for your uh, your whole website as well as where people can find this book. My my website is paulbegleyprophecy.com, paulbegleyprophecy.com, and you can get the book at amazon.com for sure. I mean, it's everywhere. It's at Barnes & Noble. It's, at, you know, books a million, but uh, Walmart, Target. But just go to Amazon.com and type in there Revelation 9-11. And you know what I'm telling people? I say, don't buy one, buy five. And here's why. Because once you read this book, you're going to want to give it away to others to read, and then you're, you never get it back. You're never going to get it back. <laughs> That's right. so, so get five. One is yours, and give the other four to people who would, whether they be Christian or unbelievers, this book, they will relate to it because it, it has to do with where we're at right now. Pastor Paul Begley, thank you for being with us on this uh, segment. I appreciate it greatly. Thank you so much. All right. God bless. We'll be back in just a moment. If you're a Christian business person and you want to meet people who want to do business with you, you need to join the Central Florida Christian Chamber of Commerce. Why? Because the mission of the Christian Chamber is to build kingdom, business, and community. And it all starts with the Christian principle of building relationships. To learn more about the Christian Chamber and all the different ways you can get engaged with hundreds of other Central Florida Christian business people, visit cfchristianchamber.com or call 407-258-3578. 
Dr. Miles Jones is my next guest on today's program. He is the director of the B'nai Imunah Institute, and that basically means the household of faith. It is so great to have you here, a real specialist in language. Theologians know that original language means a lot in helping us understand the real meaning behind the Word of God. So, Dr. Jones, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mike. I'm really glad to be here. I'm in the strange position of being a, a biblical archaeologist who's also a believer. Uh, people don't understand, well, maybe they do, how much academia has fallen into secularism in, in the past few decades. Yeah, that is so true. And, you know, people hear what uh, you do, this whole thing about being a biblical archaeologist. It's one thing to love the the whole science of archaeology, of finding our past as it is buried, literally buried in the ground. But again, when you mix what you do with a strong understanding of the Word of God, that brings a lot of what you do to life because it, it just means so much to actually see these artifacts uncovered. Right. Well, you know, the, the, the present attitude in academia is you can't be a believer and a scientist. And indeed, they will try and totally ignore anything you put forth if you're a believer because you're biased. But being anti-religious is not considered being biased. Uh, you know, I go in things like a scientist does. I, I look at the evidence. I don't try and change it. I don't try and uh, bend it to fit scripture. It either fits or it doesn't fit. But what we have discovered, especially concerning the Exodus, is that the Exodus happened exactly the way it says it did in Scripture. Uh, all the evidence points to that, and but that's not what you get from from academia today. They seem intent to. Uh, it, I don't think it surprises anyone that there's a lot of people that are anti-God, but they're apparently willing, many of them, to twist history itself in order to ensure that the uh, evidence of the Exodus does not come forth. And that that's a, well, it's troubling to the extreme, to be honest with you. Tell us about the first book. What happened and that caused you to say, hey, I, I've got to get this disseminated out to the public so that they can know what I'm learning? Well, it, it was actually something that, that, uh, that came in, in prayer, to be honest. I was told to find, go to, uh, and find the, the evidence of the Exodus. And so I did. I was, I was, I was told that the, I had a vision of walking the, the, you know, Mount Sinai and seeing things through apparently Moses' eyes. Nothing that contradicted scripture. It's just like reading a newspaper article of something you are involved in, mm -hmm. and you know all the backstory behind the article. And uh, I had prayed over what is called the writing of God in Exodus thirty-two sixteen. Being a linguist, it talks about him giving us the writing of God on the tablet at Sinai. And being a linguist, I'd always been fascinated by the origin of the alphabet. There's only been one alphabet, but it was an idea whose time had come, and every every culture that came into contact with it, literate cultures, uh, adopted it and adapted it to their own language. And you can trace them all back. This is not controversial. You can trace them all back to a single source, and that source appeared in the path of the Exodus at the time of the Exodus, and that what I was told. That's what I prayed about. I asked God if this could be the Exodus 32, 16, the writing of God. The Word was the Word of God, and the writing was the writing of God. If this could be the original alphabet of letters. And he told me, yes. Wow, that's and so I was able to find the evidence and carry that message, uh, which is kind of a, a mind-blowing thing to tell someone. Uh, but... Um, I, I whined, basically. I said, well, I, I don't know how there could be any evidence left over from 3,500 years or how, how one might go about trying to find it or how much money it would cost to launch an expedition. And uh, uh, 
I did tell him if he had opened the doors that I couldn't open, I would charge through him, charge through them. <laughs> but it was it's been quite a journey. You, you know, know, within two months, he had the evidence sent to me, overnight mail, and I didn't even have to pay the postage on it because I didn't have any money at the time, which was one of my my complaints. And uh, this past March, we just took and I'd already written a book on the evidence that had been sent to me by others. And we went to Mount Sinai in Arabia and recorded the evidence that is there and found new evidence of uh, the word, of the, the writing of God coming from Mount Sinai. It's it's very clear now. Um, you know, the evidence is there. It connects the dots between Goshen in Egypt, uh, Luxor even, um, to Mount Sinai, to Serbet el-Hadim in the Sinai Peninsula, to Mount Sinai in Midian, in Arabia, and now to Joshua's altar in the Promised Land. It's the same alphabet carried by the Israelites all the way from Egypt to Israel. Wow, that is so fantastic. Now, this has obviously happened in just recent times. So how long before all of this gets disseminated, what you've learned on this thing? Is it already documented? Is it already out there? Or is it coming? We've done it, and we've done a television show, Radio God TV, which people can purchase from us. It will soon be on uh, channel so that people can see it, um, but it it goes over all of the evidence of the Exodus, and one of those m- major things is determining the timeline of the ancient world. Remember that the Exodus, in particular, the timeline, is what the that will be used against our children and ourselves to strip them of their faith. It is the point of the sphere. Uh, they will claim the Exodus, the timeline of the Exodus is not correct. It's not, the, it's not what the Bible says. It's two centuries later. Well, if you look two centuries later, indeed, you find no evidence of the Exodus. But if you look in the biblical time of the Exodus, you find really there's an overwhelming amount of, of evidence of the Exodus. So they use that to strip you of your faith kind of a bait-and-switch thing mm-hmm. there. Yeah. But, that, that's but, really important. Every but, child should be able to go into school, into university for sure, being able to to debate this topic because it is what they use. Um, that's just the fact. So you, it's something so important every Christian should know it. What are the facts? What is the proof? of the evidence of the Exodus, and it's there, and part of it has to do with these inscriptions. The writing of God, uh, I chronicled the whole thing, very, you know, I spent 15 years studying it, including establishing the correct timeline of the ancient world, Mm. which is on the new chronology. We do this by retro-calculating celestial events in the heavens that are recorded in the ancient in the ancient uh, records mm-hmm. um, this is very scientific you know i am a scientist this is very scientific you can hardly argue with it but the <clears throat> academia is loath to give up their or orthodox chronology that's based on guesstimation basically because they like it better, and it's theirs, and a new broom sweeps clean, you know. Uh, you know, it will uh, pretty much erase the reputations of many prominent people that are claiming the the Bible is inaccurate. Because if the, if the timeline is wrong, if the, if the history given by the Bible is wrong and, and unverified, invalid rather, what does that say about the message? You know, it's their major weapon to destroy faith in Scripture. Right. And we have the scientific evidence that, that that the biblical timeline is the correct one, that, you know, they did go to the mountain where it says in Scripture they went. And that's not in Egypt. It is in Arabia, in Midian. And the evidence is there, including inscriptions and the footprints of the uh, Israelites. So it was... It was 
an incredible journey to go there, I must tell you. I'm sure it was. This time frame that we're in right now, they're not wanting a lot of people to discover all of this because, quite frankly, it doesn't doesn't fit their narrative, right? Their narrative is an anti-God narrative. Yeah. They're trying to fight faith. Everyone knows that. The universities have been secularized. This is not news to anyone, uh, but they still have trouble uh, imagining this. Now, this is one of the most dramatic things that happened to us when we went to Sinai. We found all this evidence. We filmed the evidence that I had previously researched from other people's photos. We found it. We recorded it. But we also – I also got married at the base of Mount Sinai in Arabia. Oh and wow! This was totally unplanned. My my fiance was on the trip with me. Uh, we were in separate rooms, and uh, she had a visitation, a lucid dream, whatever you want to call it, with God. And he asked her if she would marry me. She said, "No, things are not right yet." He asked her again if she would marry me, and uh, she said, "No, things are not right." And then he asked her a third time and said. Will you trust me? So what happened at that time is I was on the first floor. She was on the third floor of the the hotel in Hako on the Red Sea near Mount Sinai. Uh, I had a voice clearly call out to me, and her, her voice called my name. I was in a sound sleep. I woke up. I knew it was something supernatural, obviously, but I figured I'd better – get dressed and go see if she's okay, what's going on. So here I'm knocking on her door at five in the morning. And she said, I just had a a discussion with God and I just agreed to marry you, (laughs) (laughs) which was wonderful to hear. But we only had two days to prepare. We were two days from leaving so the, our, our crew came to us, and we were going to do a ketubah ceremony, which is the ceremony that God did with his people at Mount Sinai, where they agreed to follow all of his precepts, his commandments. So we wrote that up. It's in, it's in Exodus 19, and we were up there. We did the ceremony, the marriage ceremony. It was on the third day. Remember, none of this was planned. We were there on the third day, which is Tuesday, by the way. Sunday is day one, Monday yeah, is two. Right. Uh, and, um, uh, so, and and Tuesday would be the third day. So we're there on the third day, and we do the marriage ceremony, which was very significant. We did communion, uh, so and we did the ketubah ceremony, promising three times we would follow all of God's commandments, and we dedicated it. We did communion to. Yeshua HaMashiach, our our Savior, which most people prefer the Greek name Jesus Christ, uh, same person, and uh, it it was amazing. We walked (laughs) back down from the mountain, bright sunny day, I got sunburned uh, because I didn't want to wear my hat during the ceremony. And then a, a huge wind arises. I mean, a huge wind and it starts blowing in storm clouds. It's been an absolutely clear, sunny day. And within like 20 minutes, it starts blowing in, in, in clouds until they're so thick they cover the top of the mountain that we're standing under. And and then it starts to rain. Wow! A torrential rain, which is not a big deal. Right, except you're in Saudi Arabia and the Rubal Kali, and then the driest places on the earth. I've lived in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula twice, and I can't remember ever seeing it rain. Isn't that something? And it's a torrential rain, and then it turns to hail. Oh my word! Right, and then we're we're down at this point, but we're we're talking to somebody on the plane the next day because we left at like two in the morning, and he said. Did you hear what happened at Jebel Laws, which is the Saudi name of uh, of the mountain of God? And we said, yeah, we were there. He said, it snowed. He showed us pictures. Wow. It rained, it hailed, then it snowed. It's, and there were floods on that very same day uh, wow. in Arabia, and there were floods in the, in the succeeding weeks. 
there were floods and snow all over Saudi Arabia. Mm. You just you know, remember this Saudi Arabia going into summer. You you just don't people don't if, unless you've been there. You really don't understand what 120 degrees Fahrenheit feels like. You know this was amazing for this to happen at all, but now it's happening all over Arabia. And this is and your wedding a, day for crying out loud. Wedding day. Well. I think it wasn't necessarily, it certainly wasn't about me. It was the Ketubah ceremony we did. It hadn't been done 3,500 years, and it had never been done by a new covenant group of believers. Wow. And so I, God was taking out every arrow in his quiver to say, I heard you. I heard you. I heard you. Wonderful. Now. And so now, now, now we've got within days and weeks, we got back to the States and we were tell people about it and say, well, haven't you been watching the news? You know, Saudi cities are digging out under feet of snow. That is there amazing. Are rivers, of rivers of ice cold water flowing through the Saudi cities. Now we, we saw this rain. We were driving through flooded city streets, you know, to get back to our hotel. We were, uh, so we, we saw it happening there. But it just kept on happening, and it's still happening. Arabia is turning green, and That's and something. it's it's sand. Is what it is. It's really hot sand. You know, it's almost hot enough to melt it into glass. It's wow! So hot in Saudi Arabia. Wow! So this, this was mind blowing stuff, of which I didn't do it. I mean, this is God's plan, not mine. I mean, three weeks before we got there. A geyser appeared in the Rubal Kali. A geyser of water came up out of the Rubal Kali. It wasn't a temporary thing. It kept flowing. It kept shooting out of the ground. It created a river. Mm. It created a lake in the Wadi Rum. People go out to the lake now in Saudi Arabia, and they jet ski on this huge lake. All right? You know Isaiah 43? I will create a road in the desert. Uh-huh. I will create rivers in the desert. Verse I will nineteen. A road in the wilderness and rivers in, in the, the wasteland. Desert. Yeah, the, the the desert. Right. A new That's thing right. he did. Well, uh-huh. Yes, it's a new thing. And we're sitting at Mount Sinai. All right. We crossed in the desert in Land Rovers to get there. But while we were there, the 10 days we were there, they built a road into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. They're opening it up for people from all over the world to go there. And now I understand there is a, a, uh, a hotel on the road several miles up the way. We're the last expedition mm. that will ever cross the desert to, to Mount Sinai. So roads in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Give us the website how people can find you writingofgod.com. All right, God bless, and we'll be back in a moment. The Shepherd Radio Network is thrilled to work with The Ramsey Show to bring our listeners an opportunity to win Ramsey SmartTax e-filing software and a copy of Dave's The Momentum Theorem. Our very own Mike Gillen will be hosting a meet-and-greet and prize collection on Wednesday, March 6th at Drivers Mart Winter Park from 2 to 6 p.m. Some of you may even join Mike on the air. To enter, go to theshepherdradio.com, click on Enter to Win, and fill out the form for your chance to win. We'll see you Wednesday, March 6th at Drivers Mart Winter Park from 2 to 6 p.m. So great to have a return guest for this segment. I've got on the line with me Chad Davidson. Chad is a former atheist the host of the Good Fight radio show and a, a popular weekly podcast as well called the 511 News. I, I hope I pronounced it right with the way that is written out. He's a producer on Good Fight's new documentary series, Marvel and DC's War on God. Chad, it is great to have you back. Yeah, thank you so much. And you did pronounce it right. Oh, that's good. You know, you see a colon, and yet sometimes I, uh, I, I, I'm not sure I did it right. So that's good to know. Man, uh, what's going on with you? It's not like anything exciting or challenging is happening in the world today, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it, you know, it's really funny um, with uh, Good Fight Ministries. I actually came alongside and started working at Good Fight part-time and then full-time because of a video that was made back in 2012 regarding the Super Bowl halftime performance 
of Beyonce. Oh my and goodness! Basically, <laughs> basically, what happened was our site, uh, goodfight.org, it crashed because so many people were going to our site trying to figure out who made this video um, after the performance was exposed for a lot of the wicked things that were going on, and a lot of people were really surprised. You know, Beyonce, you know, calling spirits down to come inside of her before she becomes Sasha Fierce and so forth. A lot of people were really surprised. And so now, being that it is uh, just, we just had the Super Bowl again, our channel is, once again, it always blows up every year around the Super Bowl because we always do some sort of expose on it. And we recently did again with uh, this last performance with Usher. Yeah, and you know, that one was so, uh, to me, so... Uh, I guess I would say the word troubling as well. It's just a, a different kind of in, uh, entertainment than what uh, a, an old school musician like myself wants to see. I mean, I go back, I think of one of the the uh, Super Bowl performers at halftime that I loved was Tom Petty. And, you know, we didn't have any of the demonic inclusion, at least that I perceived, that these uh, artists these days are bringing in. But there's a lot of weird stuff that's going on in the name of entertainment in these Super Bowl halftime shows or in this year with what was going on in Taylor Swift's box. There were some things there that was also concerning, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, and it's really interesting when you actually look at the history of the halftime show because it was originally a marching band. Uh, and, uh, that, I mean, it would be marching bands every single year. And then it was Michael Jackson who put together an ensemble of people to sing We Are the World. And then after that, I, I think Janet Jackson, yeah. I mean, she really did a number there, having Justin Timberlake rip her shirt off, um, you know, and exposing herself to the audience. And, you know, Madonna, the year before Beyonce, came out with an entire Egyptian-themed uh, sort of performance with the provocateur that she is herself, and then with Beyonce and so forth. And, you know, it's just been horrific. I mean, some of the displays they've had on there. And then, as you mentioned, it wasn't just, you know, Usher singing songs, uh, you, know, you know, ripping his shirt off, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, obviously singing songs provocatively about cheating on people, literally about adultery, and then... Um, you know, centrally hugging on someone else's wife there with Alicia Keys. But like you said, even up in the box there, you had, it was very interesting with Taylor Swift, obviously getting a lot of the play there in the fact that she's dating uh, Travis Kelsey, the tight end for the Chiefs who ended up winning the Super Bowl. But they showed her chugging some alcohol up there in her suite. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting because right as she was doing that, Ice Spice, who's another artist, who is quite popular today, and she was up there, and she had been gifted this this necklace by Playboy Cardi, uh, another artist who likes to have a lot of upside-down crosses and satanic imagery. And she was given that necklace to wear, which was an upside-down cross in mockery of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. And when they panned up to Taylor Swift chugging this alcoholic drink, there was Ice Spice putting devil horns, and it looked like she was putting some sort of hex on the field or something. It was very, very strange. And to time that alongside of this display that Taylor was obviously doing for attention, it, it, was, quite, it was quite interesting, I'd say, to say the least. Yeah, very troubling. And my wife and I watched the game as well and saw all of this stuff. And and for us, it is it's so incredibly troubling because I know that a lot of people in this world today they don't have their discernment eyes on. They're not really watching uh, to see what is the damage. And you know, a lot of this stuff will go right over the head of a lot of parents. But the kids who are more in in touch with, let's say, I Spice, uh, uh, they know what's going on, and it's not lost on them. And that's really the big concern, isn't it? That's absolutely right. It, it is not lost on them whatsoever. And when you have these artists, and it's 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 really interesting because the last couple of years, some of the things they've done with the halftime performances is they've paid a lot of homage to older artists and so forth. When they were out here uh, by, by our neck of the woods in Los Angeles, they had 
basically a rapper, rapper's delight, you know, with the the artists of old, whether it was, you know, Dr. Dre or and then obviously having Eminem and uh, Snoop Dogg and all of them. And then now you have a performance with Usher, which is once again, you know, a lot of his old hits were big when I was in junior high and high school. And then then it's not just them. They're pointing towards the artists that are the biggest ones today with so much of the showing of Taylor Swift, the showing of Lana Del Rey, who also is a professing witch, the showing of Ice Spice, who's just a provocateur. I mean, she's just basically all of her music. I've watched, I've seen reviews on it. It's just mediocre with most of her dancing and so forth to be uh, basically pornography. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's no other way to kind of express it. And you just have this being pushed on the children and they're, they're watching this all the time. It's played on their phones all the time. It's in their AirPods that they, some kids literally, I mean, um, even men are growing their hair out long so they could be in class with their AirPods in covering up their ears just listening to constant noise. And what the Bible describes is the song of fools. And it is heartbreaking, and they're meditating on these things that God hates and Jesus ultimately died for. And, you know, this is the world in which we live. And so we have one of two, I believe, responses that we can all uh, live out in front of and in the face of this kind of barrage that happens in a, in a football game, for crying out loud. One is we can act like there's not, no problem at all, or we can say, this isn't right, and I'm going to be, get active in learning more about what I need to be doing to make disciples of my own children and with my friends. We need to be a part of what you call the good fight. And it really is a, it, it is a fight. There's no doubt about it. We're, we're being waged war on by the enemy. So it's not like we're trying to pick the fight. It's being picked for us. But we've got to be ready for this stuff and not act like it's not happening. Absolutely. I think that's the the biggest thing for us to recognize. And, you know, you mentioned already, and I, I think people don't understand, you know, Satan wants to have his disciples as well. He wants to have people doing his bidding. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, that the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, that he works through the sons of disobedience. And we, it's our job as believers to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, no matter what the speculation or every lofty thought that comes against the knowledge of God. And we need to do that and recognize what Psalm 1 tells us. In Psalm chapter 1, there are two different people that it talks about. There is the person who meditates on God's Word day and night, and he is like the tree planted against the water that bears fruit in his season, and all that he does prospers. But there is another person in Psalm 1 who does not delight in the law of the Lord. They do not delight in God's Word, and it says that they sit in the seat of scoffers. And guess what? That's exactly what so many people are doing. And sadly enough, it has happened over and over again in the church that people have just allowed this, that it's normative, that, you know, I just got to drag my kid out of bed to get them to come to church. But, you know, we'd hate to do that, but I make them go to school for eight hours. I make them do all their homework another three at home. I make them do all these things, and they have their time on their phone to look at whatever TikTok or whatever's going on. And you're like, what are you doing? They're, they're spending all of their time being raised by Caesar, and people are getting surprised when their children come back as Romans. And <laughs> we cannot wow. be willfully ignorant. And as you mentioned, we need to be making disciples in the home. It is so important because Satan wants to make them his disciples. You know, that could not have been more well said. I that, that just hit me right between the eyes. We have them listening to Caesar all day long, and then we're surprised that our kids uh, denounce their faith, and, and you find out they've turned into a Roman. That's a powerful metaphor, my friend. Yeah, amen. And it, and, it, and it breaks my heart. And I, um, I, I recently, this last year, went back into coaching at the high school level. I was coaching my children in wrestling for, um, for a few years and then went back to the high school and have been able to minister. And it's a secular high school, but I'm like, you know what, I'm going to share the gospel with these kids. 
And they're very open with me, the barrage of information. And that's what I call it. It is. It's a barrage completely before them, 24-7, contrary to the Word of God. And it's like, man, we really got to reach these kids. And you've mentioned before there's much uh, info on your website uh, about the Marvel world. Uh, you know, the, they put out such interesting material, but sadly it is laced with a lot of things that parents should know about and must know about to protect their kids from and to have the discussions. I, I know that in this day and age, a lot of the kids are going to say, well, you know, I can't help it. I'm, I'm being exposed to stuff at school and they are, but there has never been a time. And I'm sure you would agree with this. There's never been a time that people need to be more proactive with preparing their kids for what is going to happen when they are at school or when they were with their friends uh, than today. I mean, this is one of the most critical time frames in our lifetime for that very thing. I couldn't agree more. I, I think it is so important. And, you know, it's been burdened on my heart for the last couple of years, just on discipleship and, and exactly what you're talking about. And I, I praise God today, actually, I'm on, it's so funny, I'm on this call today. Today, my book releases called Wrestling with Discipleship, where I go through a number of different um, ways that you can disciple people, that you can disciple people in your church, that you can make disciples by sharing the gospel, and also all of this stuff that we're talking about, making sure you're in a proper stance and you're, you're building your foundation on Jesus Christ and following and putting to practice His words, and it'll keep you from the enemy. It'll keep you from these evil ways, and it will help you to disciple your children, your neighbor, and the people in your church. Boy, that is well said, Chad. It's really great to have you on. And that book, you said it drops today, so that really is cool. Uh, And that book is called Wrestling with Discipleship, and the author is Chad Davidson. And uh, I'm sure that's available on your website. Is it uh, available at other places as well? Yes, it's available on Amazon. It's also available on goodfight.org, or you can simply go to wrestlingwithdiscipleship.com. Chad, it's always great to have you on the program, and I look forward to talking with you again next week at the NRB, too, my friend. I can't wait, brother. We'll see you there. All right. Thank you. That's Chad Davidson. And friends, thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next time on Afternoons with Mike.